Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we bring champions from all over the planet to you to inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence by providing resources and assets that are productive, actionable, and timely. Today, we're going to talk about driving growth through innovation, and Brock Berry is going to tell us how he does that. Now, he is an accomplished senior executive C-suite officer, entrepreneur, consultant, board member with over 17 years success in marketing, advertising, and technology. He co-founded Adcelerant, which is a leading digital advertising and technology company leveraging an award-winning proprietary ad software platform that delivers, that delivers digital marketing plans based on campaign industry and objectives, creating operational efficiencies and revenues for all parties, I imagine. So in AdSellerant's first four years, the company experienced over a 4,000% growth and went from zero to over 75 million in revenue. And that's less than three years. Brock, great to have you here. Nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, sir. I know, but our listeners do not yet know who you serve. Our primary objective as a company is to make Madison Avenue level marketing solutions available to Main Street businesses. We're trying to level the playing field between what a company like Walmart or Amazon might have from a marketing perspective and give a lot of those same tools to small business owners. We do that through media companies. Most of our actual partners or clients are radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and those companies have an amazing local SMB type relationship. So we set up our platform, UI.marketing, for them to use. They're able to take those plans you were talking about out to their local business owners. And once the business owner has accepted whatever the strategy is, they can process that order through our platform, UI.marketing. And our team gets to work running all the campaigns, setting up all the reporting, and all that same order management workflow and reporting all happens in the same platform. So the advertiser, the partner that we work with, all working within UI.marketing, including our team. It's a turnkey solution for all things paid media online. In that explanation, you touched on, but didn't quite go deep into the problems that this core client base of yours has that you're able to solve for them. Yeah, the problem that we're solving for this small business owner is most companies who build something for small businesses, their, their solution really isn't customer service. They pretty much hand a login and password to the business owner and say, figure out what you want to do in my platform and it'll do that for you. But it puts a lot of the onus on the small business owner. And then they're trying to run a Google campaign, let's say, and a Facebook campaign and a fill in the blank campaign. And online, that takes a lot of expertise. And perhaps they're just a baker. A baker doesn't know how to do all those things. They're make, great at making cupcakes, but not necessarily great at running advertising campaigns. So it's taking the complexity out of it for them and allowing a professional to do it for them. So they really do get a good return on their investment. That's the problem we're solving for the small business owner. 
And then we're also solving a problem for media companies. Media companies, businesses are evolving, more of their audiences are going online. And as they start to explore opportunities with their small business customers, those small business customers have more options than ever to spend their money. So by working with Adcelerant, a TV station is not, a, not only able to offer their linear uh, TV spots or whatever's happening on their website or any other streaming solutions that they might have as a broadcaster, uh, they're also able to add or provide all the things that Adcelerant provides. It could be paid search or paid social, organic web development, programmatic advertising, they're able to augment their existing product sets with everything that we do, allowing them to capture as close to 100% of their prospective customer, their advertisers' marketing budget. So it's a huge win for the media company and a huge win for the advertiser. UI.marketing kind of provides all those solutions to them. Excellent. Excellent. I think maybe our listeners would benefit, Brock, from you going through a case study or two that kind of shows how you engage with the meat of the local media companies and then through them, I'm thinking, to the local businesses. Maybe a real case study or one that's just typical would be very beneficial for us to hear how you do it. For sure. So we, one of the more interesting ones we've been talking about recently because their business has changed so much uh, is a group of, of newspapers in Florida where uh, we started working with them right before COVID started. And as really with anybody, once the uh, pandemic hit, their business dropped considerably. Uh, at the time, I think 92% of their revenue was print-oriented, 8% digital. Uh, over the period of the next you know, 12 months, as there were shelter-in-place or other requirements to put social distancing at the center of whatever communities that they were serving. This company had already started selling our products, but they took them out in force because if consumers couldn't leave their houses, the easiest way for them to get advertising was going to be through some form of online vehicle, whether it be news websites or streaming TV or paid search or whatever. So they started bringing all these products to bear with their local customers and by the end of that year, uh, which was a huge buck in the trend, they had actually grown revenue year over year. And here we are three years after this pandemic, and the composition of their revenue has changed dramatically. So their print business has rebounded because obviously people are back out doing things that they were doing pre-pandemic. But uh, the, the product mix, if you will... Now they have almost 40% of their revenue is coming from digital advertising and 60% from print. So they've experienced in spite of the pandemic or despite the pandemic, tremendous top line revenue growth and a greater diversity in their revenue uh, as a business, which is obviously makes them more stable, makes their business a little bit more reliable, a little bit more predictable. Now their team is really, they're just advertising experts. They don't focus on print. They focus on whatever the client needs. So is uh, your business model then a kind of a SaaS model for both parties or how, how do you go about pricing your services? That's a good question. So the way that it works is we provide access to our platform, UI.marketing. That platform helps the Florida newspapers I was telling you about 
build campaign proposals for their small business owners that are right. now more complex than maybe a print ad in a newspaper.com ad. It's those two things plus Google and Facebook and programmatic and organic search and other things. So they're able to give them this multi-platform media plan that's focused on the goals and objective of the advertiser. And then within that same system, when they have sold the order, they can come back and hit submit and it automatically flights everything into the corresponding systems and then sets up reporting for them. Our team does do the services in the platform. So we manage the campaigns and that's kind of the, the pricing model really comes as partially a small software fee to use the platform. But really what we're, we're working on is a, a mutual success model with the, with the media company where the more they sell, the more we both benefit because we're 99% of our billing comes from running campaigns on behalf of small businesses through those media companies. Very little no. of it purely from okay. very, yeah, very, very clever. Thanks for that. Thanks for that explanation. Now, my next question, which is how are you different from your competition? I think you've gone a long way down that road, but is there anybody out there that's actually a direct competitor or are you pretty, are you pretty much own this ocean right now? Yeah, there's really only one company that we even see as a competitor. Their name is Frequence, and they're a great company. We find it's a one of those types of competitors where you get along with them probably pretty well. Our differentiator is that it's our team. It's the customer service and support that we provide the media companies, because a lot of those companies, they're in the middle of an evolution within their industry, and they need a lot of training, firsthand sales support people coming into market to work with their teams and their local customers. A lot of that sales support and operations support we provide to the media company is a big differentiator because we're very focused on providing a hand-holding experience. And then the other thing that we're doing that is really unique is we're servicing customers that go well beyond the average advertiser that you might see on your, hear on your radio or see on TV. They're customers that are one of the advertisers is a major weapons manufacturer spending almost $7 million a year on advertising. And we're doing all the operations and fulfillment for that advertiser through a TV station group uh, here in the U.S. So it's, you know, that, that type of advertising experience when somebody's spending seven figures on a really important campaign that probably has a lot of compliance requirements, a lot of data and analytics requirements that are unique to really large budgets, our team or our business can scale up to support those advertisers while also supporting your dry cleaner, your florist. And I think that is actually one of the biggest differentiators that we provide compared to Frequence or other prospective competitors is that our platform does all these things, but it also scales up to the very large advertisers, which I think a lot of media companies are trying to uh, spend more time uh, with these days. Tell us about how you came up with this idea, how you founded your company, how you financed it, how you found employees for yourself. What are the major milestones, uh, Brock, that you had? Maybe some wins and maybe some losses and what the lessons you learned from them were would be fantastic. Sure. Yeah, we're the idea of the business came from, I, I worked at newspapers, our co-founders worked at newspapers, and we were tasked in those jobs to try to come up with new and innovative 
business models that would augment the print business that we work for. And in that, in those roles and responsibilities, we actually started a business within a publishing company called Media News Group. Media News Group, and this is, gosh, it's probably 13 or 14 years ago. They, are this, they were at the time, I'm not sure today, they were the second largest publishing company in the country. We were tasked with coming up with new products for that company because they didn't have enough online audience growth to make up for the print declines. So they weren't able to sell enough online advertising to make up for the print losses. And as a result, they needed to augment their product set with other things. So what we ultimately did is we helped them build a business called Ad Taxi, which was the first programmatic company within a media company. What we learned from that was a few things. We learned there was a huge opportunity in local. Tons of advertisers loved these products and they were working great for them. We learned that media companies needed help building these new business models, and most of them couldn't afford to make the investments that Media News Group had made. So that was a, a moment where we realized there was a completely un, untapped opportunity out there within media and local advertising. And I think the third thing we learned is how to be entrepreneurs, but we did it with a safety net at Media News because it was a huge company. So we built that, that ad taxi business from zero team members to 75, running about $75 million a year in uh, advertising in three years. It was a huge success for the business and ultimately led me and our co-founders to start AdCellerant. We were like, there's a lot of other companies that need these same things. We're going to, we're going to build a platform and provide them in a unique way. And that was the impetus for what we were doing. We wanted to make sure that local journalism and community news remains a vibrant part of what we do. It's a fabric of America, if you will. It's part of our constitution to have some reliable, solid local news. So we wanted to be able to provide that or help make sure that was a sustainable business model in the long term. The essence of why we started at Seller. And then our, our success, and gosh, it's been, there isn't a single thing I can point to <clears throat> that I would say led us here. I think anybody who says that's probably missing something because what I've seen is our success is in a moment. It's a journey, uh, a lot of good decisions, a lot of bad decisions, uh, a lot of successes and failures. As you said, we're bootstrapped. We've done this without any financing. The early days of that, what that really meant was all three of us didn't get paid for almost two and a half years. So every dollar the company was able to produce in terms of cash went to the team and to investing in the platform. So we went for a very long time without making any money. And it was a, it was a period of sacrifice to say the least, but that sacrifice ultimately paid off. I think one of my favorite moments of that was right before we started paying ourselves, uh, we were driving to New Mexico to meet with uh, a partner that we had signed up a TV station in Albuquerque and we were there for a week to make sales calls with their local customers. And <clears throat> we're driving and I, I said to my partner, I was like, can you look and see if the company processed our payroll today? Because like I am literally running on E personally and I do need to get paid today for, to, for pay my own bills. And yeah. you know, they looked and sure enough, it didn't, the payroll didn't process. So we didn't get paid again. And we called our bookkeeper and the bookkeeper, she goes, oh yeah, sorry, I couldn't pay you guys because you didn't have enough cash. 
And that was like one of those moments where I thought I'm either going to go down in a blaze of glory because I've mortgaged my entire life to get to this point, or we're going to fix this week. And we committed to each other, Shelby, my, my business partner, we committed to each other. Like we're going to go sell more advertising this week than we've ever sold in our entire lives. And it's going to fix this problem. So as we're driving down there with no money and can barely pay for our hotels, we ended up spending, I think we met with 22 advertisers that week and sold about $450,000 worth of advertising uh, retail at that point for that TV station. And it was that little kind of shot, if you will, of revenue that saved us and allowed us to start paying ourselves within a month or so after that. And it was just what we needed to get over the hump. If without that trip and without that moment, without knowing that basically bankruptcy was on the, we were on the verge of bankruptcy personally, at least, I don't know that we would have made it through it. It was that moment that really helped us, I think, realize we're in a fight or flight situation. We have to perform and this is the week to do it. So we were able to get it done that week. And I wouldn't say we haven't ever looked back because we've made other errors. I think we bought a bunch of computers at one point, 25 MacBook errors, and realized about a month later that they weren't powerful enough to actually do the jobs oh, we had wow. bought them to, 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 to do. <laughs> so we we're trying to save money because they were about $1,000 cheaper than a normal Apple computer at the time. Maybe a thousand. Yeah. So I thought we were saving 20 grand and in reality, we, we burned 20 grand and went and spent the money anyway. So there's a lot of those moments, but uh, hopefully I'm answering some of your questions. So, uh, I'm, uh, I used to own an investment banking firm and I did finance several local media companies, TV stations and, and radio station networks and things and so forth. I found them to be set in their ways, dinosaur types. And did you have a did you have a lot of inertia to overcome convincing people that what you were talking about made sense to them or or what was your reception like when you call on these people early on Early on I think we were really creating a market that didn't exist so the bias that you're talking about and some of the pushing things uphill basically were absolutely part of our origin story and really came down to how many people could I tell this story to over and over again uh, before somebody will finally listen to me. And we found a lot more success in print at the time because their business was far, was facing far more headwinds and they were looking for ideas on how to solve the problem. So I think they were a little more receptive to the story and what we were trying to help them uh, realize from a business perspective. But what's interesting, and, and you're not wrong, I think, I think these businesses have changed a lot probably since the last time you worked with them then, but radio and TV are dealing with some of the same headwinds that print was dealing with 10 years ago today. And their business is now radio's average radio station, 19% of their revenue comes from digital today. On TV, I think it's about 24% of their revenue comes from digital. And what that's telling the owners and the operators is like, hey, man, our our eyeballs are changing. People still want our content. They just want it in a new place. We have to adapt. And with that, with them adapting, it's opening the door for things that we do. It's allowed us to come in and provide new solutions that maybe five years ago they would not have been as receptive to 
But today they're looking for someone to help them solve these problems. And now we have 10 years of experience. We're, we're exceptionally good at it. So what is holding you back now, do you think? I think I was, you're, as an investment banker, this number will, will mean something to you. And I, I hopefully your listeners will be thinking about this as well for their own businesses. But recently started calculating LTV over CAC and mm -hmm. our LTV over CAC today is 61% better than it was in 21, 2021. And it is 18 and a half. So 18 and a half is exceptionally good. And I think we, we would be happy with 10, uh, but at 18 and a half, like what we're learning, and I think the answer to your question, I don't know if it's as much of a, what's holding us back as much as information is power. And now that we, we have better line of sight on this data and we know our, our, you know, our retention of clients is we're about a 99% retention of partners on a monthly basis. So we're churning roughly 12% of customers, maybe in an, an entire calendar year. Uh, and our net revenue retention is about 115%. But as we're starting to see these numbers, what we're realizing is we can be investing a lot more in sales and marketing. And the reason is because we aren't churning customers once they start. And our customers on average, even if we are doing, we've, even if we have churn, our existing customer base is growing so fast that the net revenue retention on the whole is plus. I think the answer to your question is, I think what was holding us back maybe is a lack of understanding the data that we had access to. Today, mm -hmm. we now understand it better and we have plans or we're working on plans as we speak to make pretty sizable investments in this part of what we're doing so we can grow even faster. So what, uh, what is the best technique, Brock, for our listeners to get a hold of you? The various fellow entrepreneurs, potential partners, potential small, how do they all find you and the universe out there? They're, if it's entrepreneurs just looking to connect, I'd say LinkedIn is probably the best. I'm, I'm on there. My information's public. And I, I try to check it at least every few times a week. That's a great place to find me on Twitter as well, which is, I think it's, what is it? It's X now. So yeah, I don't know we're using it really anymore, but that's a place where I found myself at least at the beginning of my career. But they can always send me an email. My, my email is brock at adcelerant.com. Super easy to remember and super easy to, to find. Excellent. I imagine, or I'm hoping that there's a question that I probably should have asked that I didn't think of. So what would that question B, Brock, and then what's the answer to it? Hmm. I think if I'm listening to this, call it seven, eight years ago when I hadn't paid myself for a year or two, like the thing that I would be most interested in understanding is how do you, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you had and how do you get through them? And I think when you start a company, what you probably do, you're probably not that much different than I am. I would read things like Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur, and I'd be reading these great stories about these great companies, and they had raised millions of dollars on all these seed rounds and angel investing and so on and so forth. And 
And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading them, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be nice? I wish I had some money to run this company. Instead, I'm sitting here trying to buff, duct tape and bubble gum this thing together so I can get something started. And I, I would say most people who start companies in America today, and we're in one of those entrepreneurial booms at the moment, right? As the market gets tough, economy gets tough, American entrepreneurship is blossoming typically at a faster rate than ever. You know what? Don't get caught up in the Inc. Magazine stories about these people with all this money. That is not normal. What's normal is you're making sacrifices. I sold both of my cars. I drove my brother-in-law's van. He let me borrow it. It was the worst, the worst vehicle in the entire world, which is why he didn't need it. He wasn't even driving it. I mortgaged my house. I borrowed money from my stepmother. I, I did everything I could, basically, or from my mother-in-law, I borrowed money from my mother-in-law. I borrowed money from everybody. And I put myself in probably the worst financial situation ever because I had tremendous confidence that if we were given enough time, we could overcome the cash flow challenges of a startup that doesn't have any access to capital. And that was one of the first steps, one of the first things I did that I think was critically important was just realizing that no one's going to walk in tomorrow and give me a bunch of money to figure this out. I have to get it myself and make sacrifices to be able to do this. And then from there, institutional money, if you will, or like money that like a line of credit, even from your local bank, they need you to be a customer for a few years. Get to know your banker. As soon as you start your business, go in and meet the bit small business banker that you work with. I would recommend trying to find a, an institution like JP Morgan or Bank of America. Those were great banks. We've worked with every bank at this point, but get to know your banker, know them well, give them updates, stay in touch. And as soon as they'll even listen to you about a line of credit, that's your first opportunity to start to give yourself better access to capital and cash flow your company. So get in there and, and get to know the people, the resources that are guaranteed to make you successful. And your bank is one of the most important resources you can get to know well. Uh, and then lastly, I would just say hard work. I, I like there isn't, I said it earlier, there isn't a single thing that we can attribute our entire success to other than really just sweat equity, putting in the time when you're not working and you're not with your family. I have two kids now nine and 10. You should be reading books about owning your company. What are the right things to do? How do you write a business plan? Do you have a business plan? Everything that maybe you take for granted, you think I already know how to do that. Trust me, you don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know anything yeah. until you're 10 years in, you're sitting in this chair. You need to just, you need to constantly be realizing that you have a lot to learn and that you can never give enough to what you're doing. If you just keep giving, eventually you get to a place where you have your personal time back and, and perhaps the job gets a little bit easier. But uh, that first probably three to five years, there's just a lot of tough grit work and self-education. Excellent. Great question. Better answer. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it very much. Uh, yeah. Van, those little vans are nice when they're excess to somebody else. That's beautiful. Now, everybody, look, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Brock, 
Instead, you get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy. Second, having a management system to execute that strategy. And number three, leveraging high performance teams. You can get your hands on the keys to those three. Just go to getbillsgift.com. So thanks for listening. Brock, thanks for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. Bill, thank you very much. I think your three points there are legitimately some of the most important things you can do starting a company. I, I love that. Okay, great. Thanks again, Brock. Thank you.